on ABC Local Radio. You're with Grandstand. Here's the pop. It's a beautiful shot. Fastest horse you ever saw. The signal given. You're with Grandstand. Your home of live sport all year round. All year round. Sends Covitz the wrong way. Makes absolutely no mistake. Grandstand. 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 Remarkable at Subiaco. Fremantle of Hung On. On ABC Local Radio. ABC Local Radio. The ball's not there. Picked up over here by Champion. Champion scores. ABC.net.au slash grandstand. grandstand. And now live on Grandstand Digital. Grandstand Digital. This is Grandstand around Australia. Around Australia. Very proud of the way that we closed off that game. I mean, we whack it hard for ourselves. And we say each week there's a lot we can improve on. And I still think that shows. But I mean, to get away with that and to show the fight that we did, I'm, uh, I'm very proud. You're with Grandstand. Hello and welcome to Cracking the Codes. I'm Debbie Spillane and over the next 50 minutes we'll be checking out all four flavours of football that are popular in Australia. We'll talk NRL with Grant Bell who'll be involved in our commentary tonight in the North Queensland Cowboys versus Canberra match from Townsville but he's going to give us some thoughts on what happened last night at Brookvale Oval. And there was a bit of activity there to comment on. We'll talk soccer with the former Socceroo and SBS commentator David Zrilich. Uh, Quentin Hull will be along to have a chat with us about rugby union. A big win, well, it was only a small win for the Reds last night in terms of margin, but a big win in terms of clean sweeping the New Zealand teams, which hasn't been done by an Australian side in a season before. And we'll talk with Rob Cross about the AFL. He should be just about arriving in Canberra now for today's match, GWS Giants versus Gold Coast. That's being played at Manuka, and you'll be able to get full coverage of that if you're listening through local radio in Brisbane and Queensland in general and New South Wales News Radio is your station for listening to any GWS or Swans matches. That's 630 on your AM dial. So that's where you'll get a full commentary of that match. Now, as I just mentioned uh, in passing, when uh, the topic of last night's match in the NRL comes up, South Sydney defeated Manly Sea Eagles at Brookvale 20 points to 12. But a lot of what was discussed during the game and after the game by our commentators and also by the television commentators was a lot of... Uh, some illegal play, let's just call it that. A lot of head-high tackles. Uh, there seemed to be uh, a bit of fiery uh, sort of you know, antagonism between both teams. Greg Inglis, remarkably, twice got picked up by Richie Fioso and dumped on his head. He got uh, warned by the referee and penalised on both occasions, but he stayed on the field. A lot of people are now asking, what do you have to do to get sent off in rugby league these days? Someone on Twitter commented to me last night that you'd have to attack someone with a machete to get yourself sent off in rugby league. And it started to strike me that having watched a lot of soccer over the last few years, it, it's almost too easy to lose a player in soccer. The, the old red card seems to happen, sometimes deservedly, but sometimes it just seems pure technicalities. You know, I've seen well, the one that always sticks in my mind is Harry Kuehl at the World Cup. There he was in the goal mouth with his eyes shut and his hands by his side and the ball just happened to deflect 
off the top of his arm. He gets red carded immediately, a penalty is awarded, and then he was suspended for the next match of the World Cup. So the punishment sometimes in soccer just seems so extreme, and yet in a rugby league match like last night, players can pick up another player, pick up the same player twice in the same game, make a totally illegal tackle, one that is going to be very hard to defend at the judiciary, and yet stay on the field. Yes, there's a, a penalty awarded, but that's you know it just doesn't quite seem enough, and it seems that perhaps the game got out of hand because there wasn't enough action taken against the players who were committing fouls. Rugby Union has the sin bin that it uses a fair bit more than Rugby League. Rugby League had the sin bin. It's barely been seen for ages. I don't know that it's officially been wiped out, but no one ever seems to use it anymore. Should that be used more often? Should there be like a yellow card system? For instance, under soccer rules, Richie Fosa last night would have been shown, if not a straight red, then a second yellow for the second um, spear tackle on Greg Inglis, and he would have been off the park. Is that the way you'd like to see it go? The other thing people are saying is, well, he'll get suspended now. He'll probably cop a lengthy suspension, most people are predicting. But that didn't help the match last night. It didn't It didn't penalise the team on the field last night for what was happening in that match. So is justice delayed, justice denied? Is it any good to go through a match report later? Now, the AFL, as far as I know, they don't have, I mean, they have match review committee, but I don't recall anyone ever gets sent off in, in AFL. I don't think it's part of their rule book. So which code handles it best? What would you like to see your code do? Uh, and basically, is there is there something we can learn uh, across the codes? Do you like do do you think it's fair for a crowd, for instance, to have to sit and watch a team play a man down? There's a lot of people that think the fans shouldn't be punished, that they should be able to see a reasonable contest. But anyway, give us your thoughts. There's many, many layers to that uh, conversation. And uh, let's see if we can unpick a few of them as we go along in the next 45 minutes on Cracking the Codes. SMS 0467 920 0467920222. You can leave a message on the ABC Grandstand Facebook page where I've set up a, a spot there for cracking the codes. And uh, you can always tweet us as well at ABC Grandstand or you can tweet me direct at Deb Spillane. We'll talk rugby league very shortly with Grant Bell. Nightlife. G'day, Tony Dolroy. Huge week on the nightlife. Monday, conflict resolution with Patria King. We all have to deal with difficult people. Paul Clitheroe looks at credit card debt Tuesday, philanthropy on a smaller scale Wednesday, and fashion tips to update your style on Thursday. Nightlife on ABC Local Radio and streamed live online. You're with Debbie Spillane on Cracking the Codes. In rugby league last night, South Sydney had a 20-12 win against the Manly Sea Eagles at Brookvale Oval in what was a very fiery match after the game. Michael Maguire, the coach of the Rabbitohs, spoke with Shannon Byrne. Well, Michael, uh, I guess first of all, uh, how did you see that game unfold for your team? Uh, very pleased to walk away with the two points. Uh, it's always tough to come over here and uh, play against a team in front of the home crowd and uh, you know, obviously Manly. And, uh, you know, they kept coming at us, Manly, all night. And our boys just kept standing up to everything that was thrown at them and then, you know, fought back at situations where we had to defend for numerous uh, sets. And, you know, we fought hard for each other. That was, that was a pleasing part. And at some stages, they literally had to fight. It was quite a, an intense game out there. Uh, 
what was it like to, to watch as a, a coach when uh, you see your players, your boys, uh, one when we saw Sam Burgess, uh, I guess, set upon, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to come out of that, but then I guess the safety of your players, uh, just touch on uh, your thoughts on, on what it takes for a player to now to be sent off and, and the, the, the security and, and, and support you need for Greg Inglis. Yeah, I'm probably the wrong person to be asking that. I, you know, they're the questions I'm going to be asking when I, I go through the week. I, I think, you know, when you've got three incidences where, uh, you know, Greg uh, got turned upside down and you know, situations where, what does it take for uh, players to either be sent from the ground, uh, you know, it's it's there in front of everyone. You know, they've, got to, they've got to make the calls. Well, your boys did well to keep their heads. Is that what you're most pleased about, bringing that discipline into the side Then, when sometimes it gets unruly or uh, out of control that they're able to, to get back in and uh, do what's in front of them? Yeah, without a doubt. I thought that our team just got together and you know, they were very focused about what we wanted to achieve tonight. You know, very disappointed, obviously, with the Melbourne uh, you know, losing those two points in that game, we wanted to come here and perform the, the way we're capable of, and I thought we did that. You know, and we didn't get the ball uh, as much as we would have liked, but you know, we defended for each other, and you know, that allowed us to you know, stay in that game and get the two points. Did you say something to Goodwin at halftime? Because his defence in the second half against Jamie Lyon was just outstanding. Yeah, he was excellent. Uh, you know, along with a lot of our players, I thought they just you know, in instances throughout that game they just they made the right play. And uh, Bryson was another one that did that on numerous occasions on you know what is probably one of the best centres in the game. So you know, I was really pleasing to see him uh, play like that. Michael Maguire, coach of South Sydney, speaking with ABC Grandstand Shannon Byrne after the twenty points to twelve win against Manly at Brookvale Oval last night. One of people uh, watching that match last night was our North Queensland commentator and former coach Grant Bell, and he joins us on the line now. Hi, Grant. How are you? Good, Debbie. How are you? Not too bad. What did you make of that match last night? We've already touched on the fact that it was pretty ferocious and uh, there was perhaps some illegal play that was handled handled reasonably softly. Yeah, it was interesting because for a start, the game was a fantastic game, and I think it reinforced how how far South Sydney have come over the last couple of years. They're uh, playing some terrific football and their defence in the early parts where where Manly uh, had a lot of possession really set a tone for the game. And I think it it almost uh, reinforced some uh, dislike between the two sides, if I can put it that way. Yes, dislike might be, uh, uh, might be understating it just a little bit. Uh, we, we will get on to the, yeah, the, the strength of the South Sydney performance and, as you say, their defence in particular. It was funny because going into the match, Manly Warringah were, were being regarded as the team with the best defence so far in the competition, but the Souths really showed that they can do a bit of that as well. But do you think that sometimes matches, uh, the referees let things go on and, and the players start sort of taking the get squares into their own hands? I think there was an element of that. I think uh, it, it was a game that I'm not certain that the uh, there was an underestimation of, of the level of feeling and emotion between the two sides. And, and I think that certainly built as the game went on. And it almost seemed that it got to a point that the referees perhaps felt they couldn't pull it back into line or couldn't reasonably manage it, but it, it certainly um, it certainly slipped away from their control in some aspects. And, and, and I think uh, you know, the Burgess incident really um, sort of erupted and exploded and, uh, and demonstrated how much there was in the game. And, and, and I think that's hard for the refs. You know, they, they needed to grab it earlier. Well, it's funny because Manly perhaps needed to forget about the uh, the fouls and, and get on with the play because towards the end of the match, it looked as if they'd, they'd sort of knuckled down and started playing uh, seriously in the second half and, and, and made a bit of a comeback. 
They did, and they, and they got a lot of possession through that period too. And, but they had possession early as well, and, and they couldn't convert with it. They, they did, but I think it was the back-to-back. There was a lot of penalties in the, uh, in the back half of the game that, that went Manly's way. And, uh, but as you said, they seemed to knuckle down, and I don't know whether it was a feeling that, well, South Sydney, now they're not the greatest defensive team. If we just work through attrition, we'll get them. It certainly seemed that way in the first passages of play. And, and as I said, I, I really thought that the, uh, the South Sydney defence was, was fantastic. And, and their determination as well, later in the game, there was a couple of sets of six there where they were just so determined and ultimately Manly, Manly got across on, I think, the third or fourth consecutive set they had with some penalties in amongst it. Um, but there was a, a greater resolve, I think, than perhaps the Manly uh, side gave them credit for before the game. And, and I think that might have been some of the difference as well. Some of the talk leading into the game, when you were comparing the records of each side, that each had only lost once. South's only loss was to Melbourne Storm, and there's still no doubt that they're the the team that sets the the bar in rugby league, so to speak. Do you think Manly were being overrated now, having seen what they did last night? Because they they had played lesser-ranked teams. I think there's an element of that, and I think there's there's still generally been an, an underestimation of how strong this South Sydney side is. I think they've they've got a football team that that really have embraced. I think a lot of what um, Michael Maguire has brought from Melbourne, and that's around the defence, the attitude to defence, and those control parts, and they've still got that um, unpredictable nature of their attack, where they can just create something and. It's a very dangerous balance, and it's not a dissimilar balance to what Melbourne have. I think Melbourne still, and they showed in that game against South a couple of weeks back, that they still have the upper hand in knowing how to win in a tight game and how to to really close an an opponent out. I'm not sure that Manly are quite there yet, uh, particularly through their halves. You mean Manly or or Souths, rather? Manly. I'm not certain that they're in the same league as as Souths and um, and Melbourne at this point in time. And One of the players that I I think, and I've got to give a lot of credit to Michael Maguire, is is the way John Sutton's playing. He's always had that ability, that potential to be a big physical presence on the field. And and when things are going well, he's always had something there. But he he now is offering something right, right throughout the game. He's a danger and, and he's really adding um, to what the South Sydney side bring in terms of that physical threat. Um, and I think that you know, his, his form is, is something that's really contributing to where they're at at the moment with their game. It's funny when you say that about Manly through their halves perhaps are not quite there because in prospect... I think I, I tipped Manly last night because I thought their halves were more experienced in those big match clashes. I mean, Reynolds and Sutton have been playing well, but I didn't know that uh, they would handle it better than uh, than a couple of halfbacks that had uh, done as well as uh, Foran and Cherry Evans. Yeah, and, and, and when you say that, the, the, I'll come back to the defensive pressure. They were, they were able, they really climbed Foran, I thought, quite well. Um, Neither Foran nor Cherry Evans have got the physical presence of a, of a Sutton, um, and and I think that that certainly helps South Sydney. But the, again, I'll, I'll go back to the the defensive work from South Sydney. They put a lot of pressure on those two guys. They caused them to play a little bit more laterally. They claimed them a bit more, and and I and again I I don't know that they came in expecting the the level of intensity that they got in the game and. And, and that comes back to a, a different attitude that we're seeing in this South Sydney side. They're, they're a talented lineup, and 
you know, very capably led through the forwards by guys like Sam Burgess and, and Roy Satasi who uh, who really bring something. But they've got a mix of other guys that uh, that just contribute to that overall, um, I suppose, approach to their uh, their defence and and the the basics of the game, the work that needs to be done to lay a platform. You're making the comparisons a lot between South Sydney and Melbourne Storm and, of course, Michael Maguire having been an assistant to Craig Bellamy at the Storm. There's obviously things that he has brought to South Sydney. Is there anything that they're doing differently? I mean, you would assume that at some point they have to kind of improve on that Melbourne Storm model if they're going to beat them. I, I think they do, and I think that's that's an evolving part of their game. And I, and I still think that some of the... Uh, I suppose the stability through there, and you, you touched on Reynolds before, he, he's a very good player and he is developing, but he's not a Cooper Cronk at this stage. And and I suppose the hard-nosed approach for Cooper Cronk, he is just such a, a controlling player and, and you combine him with Smith in the, in the hooking role, they determine the direction of that Melbourne side so well. And I think if, if you're looking for a, a step forward for South Sydney, it, it is very much about how they progress now in that, that hard-nosed control of a game of football. And, and I think that they, um, they've still got a little way to go to meet Melbourne in that, in that regard. And where do Manly go from last night? What lessons should they have learnt from that match that they'll need to learn to, to become genuine premiership contenders? I think I think that they're you know we're probably talking about the three teams that are at the top of the mix at the present moment and uh, and likely to be so come September. I th- I think Manly need to to have a look at how they manage an aggressive defence, a defence that's really coming forward to them, and and I also think their discipline at different stages in the game let them down. I think uh, you made a good point earlier that perhaps they let some things get in front of them uh, in the early patches when they had quite a deal of possession. Uh, I think that their halves will take out of that the need to be able to control uh, the purpose of the game and the purpose of what they want. And, and again, probably that determination to say, well, we're down this end, we need to get a result now, um, not just assuming that it will come out of weighted possession. On our topic of the day that um, I'm asking people to send their thoughts, looking across the various codes and how they handle foul play... I mean, rugby union tends to use the sin bin. I don't know what happened to the sin bin in rugby league. It was never officially farewelled, but it doesn't seem to be used very much anymore. Would uh, to me that always would seem an option when tempers are getting a bit frayed and uh, you know what should be cool heads are, are getting fairly hot. Wouldn't there be some value in you know sending someone like Richie Faso off for ten minutes to calm down? I, I think that I think you're right there. I got asked earlier today um, on ABC up in North Queensland on the show, and we were talking about it. And I don't think it was a send-off scenario, but the referees can't send uh, can't send bin for foul play, but what they can send bin for is repeated offences, and that mm. doesn't have to be repeated by the one person. It could be a an overall team thing where, look, it's now getting out of hand. We've seen too many of these undisciplined plays, so repeated offences, you're going. And yeah, there used to be that general caution that you would hear referees or referees issue where, okay, the next one is off. Yeah, and and I think that that's that's the point that you know for me I think that that was the better option. I don't think, and I, and I made this the point this morning that that Richie Fayoso, I don't think either were intentional, but I think he has got some really flawed defensive techniques. 
um, that are putting him in a bad position and you know, to be coming back and repeating and then two repeat offences last night of a similar style to um, issues he's had in the past speaks about his um, technique rather than an intent. And I think there's got to be an intent before we send them. But I do think that there was certainly an avenue to put him in the bin, um, if nothing else, but to, to settle things down and say, look, uh, at the end of the day, it's not intentional, but it's clumsy, it's awkward, and it's repeated, and you've got to go and have a, a spell. Yeah, and it, to me it just seems something in between just a penalty and and losing a player for the rest of the match. It's just more or less, you know, sort of a, a middle ground where there's a bit of punishment for the team and there's a, you know, the player gets to go and cool his heels for 10 minutes. Anyway, I don't know, you know, as you say, it's it's probably not the way the rule's written that it's supposed to be used, but no, I think it would be interesting to explore the possibilities there. But let's look ahead quickly to tonight's match, North Queensland against Canberra at Townsville. You'll be on the commentary team with Daryl Griffiths and Laurie Spina. What are you expecting there, North Queensland? What has been going on, Grant? I think you know, the big thing, their attack has been a real problem for them, and it's something that hasn't historically been an issue. But... Jonathan Thurston's been really left as a one-man show in there. And you know, Matthew Bowen, of course, was out last uh, last start, and he's now had that and the bye weekend. Hopefully that's freshened him up and given his new a chance to rest, and we'll see him back to his best because they need that if they're going to be in there. And Jonathan Thurston, I'm not sure how much it made the Southern media, but he threw a challenge out to his half's partner in, in Michael Morgan and said, yeah, Michael, and... I need you uh, to take more pressure off me. I need you to take a more leading role and be more determined in what you're doing. And and I think for him to do that, it will give some opportunity for Thurston. If they don't, Thurston is is too much under pressure to be the kicker, the playmaker, the organiser, the, the constructor. And the other thing that I think they're missing, Debbie, they, I don't think anyone quite realised what Aaron Payne brought to the football team. His mm. work out of the dummy half area... They haven't been able to find a replacement that, for that. And I think a coup tonight will be when Ray Thompson comes off the reserve bench and comes into there because I think he can bring a dynamic in there. And I know that the players, the forwards around him, enjoy playing with him because of what he does bring in that regard. But they've got to improve that attack. I think they'll get the Raiders tonight, uh, but they really need to uh, provide some alternatives to take a bit of pressure off Thurston. Okay, Grant Bell, and just quickly, leaning towards West Tigers or Brisbane at Campbelltown in the later match? I'm leaning towards the uh, the West Tigers. I think mm. uh, they'll have a little bit too much uh, down there and uh, looking forward to that match as well and uh, to see how, they, uh, how those two teams come out. Okay, well, thanks very much for talking to us on Cracking the Codes today. Grant Bell, tune in tonight, 5.30 on ABC Grandstand in Canberra, Queensland and New South Wales for a full call of North Queensland versus Canberra from Townsville and then at 7.30 it'll be followed by West Tigers up against Brisbane Broncos from Campbelltown, David Morrow Warren Ryan and Richard Swenson will be on hand there Grandstand This is Cracking the Codes with Debbie Spillane on ABC Local Radio Online In a moment, we'll talk soccer with David Zrilich, but looking at some of your responses to how foul play is handled in your particular football code, John Krasiewski... Krajewski, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know John. Anyway, he says it's a joke. No one got sin-binned last night. As Inglis said to the ref, there's no advantage to the team. Isaac Kensel reckons that it's Greg Inglis's fault 
you're not a, a Roosters, uh, sorry, a Manly Seagull supporter, are you, Isaac? He says Inglis jumps in the tackles. That's why he lands on his head in games, makes it look worse. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, it's um, Greg Inglis. I know it must be a, a big effort to, to pick him up and dump him on his head, but you wouldn't imagine it could happen by accident. Uh, Matthew Osborne says should have been sent off last night uh, with FA for Manly. I'm not sure what he means by F. Uh, hmm, okay, all right. Um, so that's the, uh, the the response so far, but I'm interested if you follow other codes, what, uh, you know, as I said, I sometimes think, Watching, I've watched so many big soccer matches that have been ruined by what seem, I don't know, just random red cards. I mean, sometimes you can see why. Sometimes they seem too silly yellows and, and suddenly the match is spoiled by being 10 on 11. But, uh, yeah, so do you think your code could learn something from the others? What do you like? What don't you like about the way your code handles foul play? We'll speak with David Zrilich in a moment. This is Cracking the Codes with Debbie Spillane on ABC Local Radio, online and on digital radio. It's been a big week in the round ball game. We had the A-League Grand Final on Sunday, a couple of First League semi-finals in the European Champions League midweek. And, of course, early in the week, Manchester United wrapped up the Premier League title. We could see it coming for, from a long way out, but it, it finally did happen this week. David Zrilich, former Socceroo and a commentator on SBS, joins me now. Hi, David. How are you? Good, Debbie. How are you? Uh, not bad. So there's there's a few things to pick from in this week in in football. What what was uh, your biggest moment? Oh look, I, 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 look, it's great what's happened here in the A League. Um, such a wonderful grand final. Uh, the Mariners uh, winning it. Uh, you know the Wanderers reading the Premier's plate. Uh, the crowd that was there and uh, the atmosphere created predominantly by the the RBB. Um, I think football's come a long way in this country, but also uh, the results in the Champions League with Bayern Munich absolutely um, demolishing Bayern and then Dortmund doing the same to Real Madrid just a day later. So um, a, lot of, a lot of really exciting things happening this week. Well, uh, are you on hands-free or something there, David? Because we're getting a kind of very hollow sound on your, on your voice. Oh, sorry about that. No, ah. I'm just on the normal iPhone. So. Ah, that sounds that sounds much better. I don't know what happened there, but yeah, no, that, that's much clearer. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll start with the A League Grand Final. A lot has been said about the atmosphere. What about the standard of the match itself and and the result? Did it go the way it deserved to go? Yeah, I think I think Central Coast uh, dominated the game. They deserved to win. A, a few of the refereeing decisions, um, you know, controversial, but. Uh, when you look at the whole match, uh, Central Coast definitely played better. Uh, after they scored the first goal, I thought there was a, a handball uh, for Pedge Bowich in the box. should have been a penalty for the Wanderers. Um, and, and then in the second half, I think they had another penalty claim. But uh, on the balance of the way the whole match uh, went and the flow of the game, the Mariners uh, dominated. They deserved uh, to get their goals. And um, and it was, a, it was a good final from that perspective. It would have been nice to see the Wanderers score, just to see what the crowd, uh, the noise levels they would have uh, got to. But um, they've had a fantastic season, and uh, uh, I don't think anyone can argue it's just just been incredible what they've achieved over the course of the year. And uh, you know, for the crowd to amass the way they have, and uh, the the support, uh, the way that they've been able to get the whole stadium atmosphere to a new level, and um, you know, that's been. 
uh, now pushing other clubs as well to and their fan bases to to you know um, do things and and try and get that atmosphere. But that's only something that we see in football. Just just quite amazing when you when you see the whole crowd singing um, in unison. And I thought it was thought it was really good. And um, you know, can't wait for next season. Yeah, I feel a bit the same. Uh, with the Central Coast Mariners, there's been a bit of talk. Trent Sainsbury probably headed overseas. Also, um, Matty Ryan, there's a lot of talk. I know he, he spent a lot of time walking around the perimeter of the field after the semi-final on the, on, at Gosford, looked as if he was saying goodbye. Do, do you expect that uh, those two will go overseas and um, and perhaps others? Well, it's no secret that Matty Ryan's been looking to go overseas. He's already been on trials. Um, you know, to Tottenham, and and he's 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 been um, speculating for a while, uh, and certainly been quite vocal about his desire to go overseas. And that's we have to accept that. You've seen it with Rogic; he went to Celtic, uh, and other players have have taken a similar path. And uh, unfortunately, now the A League uh, is as exciting as it is. It's still a development league, and and our best players, as soon as they perform here, they're going to be poached by other leagues. So um, I think it's a credit to the Mariners how they keep uh, adapting to players going overseas. We saw it when Rogic left. He was, a, he was a massive part of their team and they've still gone on to, to win the grand final. So uh, if Matty Ryan go, uh, goes, I'm sure that Arnie, if he's still there, there's speculation about him as well. Um, but they'll, they'll get in someone else to replace him. Sainsbury's had a fantastic year as well. And, um, yeah, so at the moment it's a speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if both of them go and, and perhaps even more players. Now, turning to the first leg semi-finals in the European Champions League during the week, are we seeing a bit of a new world order being established now? The German clubs getting on top of the Spanish clubs. Yeah, I think there is a bit of a shift. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just go. You know, I wouldn't read too much into to, into the results, but certainly uh, in Germany, the you know the, the model of their league and the clubs. Um, you know, you, you don't have one wealthy owner coming in and. And, and, and taking over clubs in Germany, you know they're predominantly owned by the members and 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 the fans. So uh, it's a really good model there, and uh, you know they don't they don't spend uh, massive amount of money on on players really that they can't afford. Um, and, and they they have a lot of German talent that they invest with. Certainly with Bayern Munich, they always uh, poach players from other teams in in Germany. That's why they're always so strong, and that's. That's probably keeps the value of those players down a little bit as well. Uh, but what we saw in those semi-finals was quite extraordinary. Uh, what Bayern Munich did against uh, Barcelona was was really amazing. Uh, they they stopped all the channels, uh, all the passing channels into midfield. Uh, we know that Barcelona dominate possession and and it's very hard to contain them. But uh, Bayern were able to to man mark them at times, to cut all those channels, those passing channels into Messi and all the dangerous players. Uh, and really stop their flow. And, and not only that, uh, we've seen teams uh, try and sit back and absorb all the pressure from Barcelona without having anything really in attack, or they try and press really aggressively and then leave, leave the, uh, the back open for, for a counter-attack from, from Barcelona. But what Bayern did very well is they did both. They played when they needed to, and they sat back and counted when they, when they had the opportunity as well. So it was the first time that we've, we've seen a team do that to Barcelona, do it so convincingly. I don't think anyone would have expected uh, that kind of a result. And then Dortmund as well. Uh, they've already beaten uh, Real Madrid in the group stage and drew with them as, as well. Uh, but in this game, it was really, they took it to another level. The intensity of their play, uh, two counter-attacking teams coming up against each other, but uh, it was just 
unbelievable intensity from Dortmund. Every time they lost the ball, they won it back within seconds, and then they broke very quickly. And uh, it could have been a lot, more, a lot worse for Real Madrid. Um, Dortmund had another two or three chances. So um, Germany on top at the moment. Do you think Jose Mourinho will still be at Real Madrid next year? Oh, look, there's always there's been a lot of speculation this year, and he hasn't had the best of time uh, with Real Madrid and the uh, board and the hierarchy. Uh, so for him, it was all about trying to finish on a high, uh, win the Champions League, and then move on. Um, I think he would be very surprised with the way things happened in Dortmund, and um, you know he wouldn't obviously wouldn't be happy with that. But I think he'll be moving on. There's been a lot of speculation about him going back to Chelsea. Uh, PSG have been another one that. Uh, have been linked with him. Uh, I think the time is right. There's been a lot of just a lot of bad, bad feelings between him and 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 Real Madrid. Some of the players as well. There's been a bit of tension there. Uh, so I, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, he'll be moving on uh, in the summer. Yeah, you would imagine Chelsea have to start rehiring old coaches. I think they've been through just about everybody. <laughs> they've had to have to start going back to repeating. Exactly, and you know when you got that's back to the point of German German clubs and the way that they run their football clubs. When you got someone like Abramovich at Chelsea, he just you know he makes up his mind and gets rid of a coach, and he's done it time and time again. And uh, and of course the interest. Sorry, I was going to say, and the interesting thing is that Bayern Munich are this good already, and next year they've got Pep Guardiola. Well, that's that's another issue as well. That's. Um, Hankers, I mean, Pep's going to come in. What can he? What can he do better? They're on. They're on course for a treble. Um, but in saying that, they've they've bought Goetze from uh, Borussia Dortmund. It looks like they're going to get Lewandowski as well. Mm. Uh, they've they've bought a couple of young talents from Germany. So they keep strengthening. They just keep adding pieces every single year. They already bought uh, Javi Martinez, who's been fantastic for them in midfield. So this is a very, very strong team that's only getting stronger. But back to Chelsea, I mean, Abramovich just keeps, um, you know, chopping and changing. He's brought in Benitez, already said that he's an interim manager, so gave him no chance of holding on to the job. Uh, very strange the way that they, they do things there. And it just doesn't make for a safe, a safe and stable environment. And then the players have a lot of power at Chelsea as well. Uh, I think that's had an influence on, on some of the coaching uh, uh, dismissals. But... You know, if Mourinho comes back, everybody at Chelsea loves him there and I'm sure he'll have success again. Okay, and uh, when, when are the second legs on, uh, David, of those uh, Champions League semis? So they're on next week, so it'll all be decided next week. We'll have our finalists and, um, you know, at the moment it's looking like it's going to be Bayern versus Dortmund unless an incredible uh, turnaround happens in the second leg. So um, some, some more exciting games, both being played in Spain. Uh, this next week. So, um, yeah, uh, if they can turn it around, it'll be an incredible week. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to uh, following those matches on SBS. And, of course, we'll keep you updated on ABC Grandstand as well with scores. David Zrilich, thanks very much for uh, being with us today on Cracking the Codes. Thanks, David. See you later. Whatever it takes, you got to move on. This is Cracking the Codes with Debbie Spillane on ABC Local Radio, online and on Grandstand Digital. Going to speak with Quentin Hull about the Reds' win last night. It was just one point, but a very brave victory. Just uh, scanning through some of your reactions to the question of the day, how do the various codes handle fouls in the game? Is it too hard to get sent off in rugby league? Should there be a sin bin? Is it too easy to get red carded in uh, soccer? Uh, Lee Norris on Facebook says, referees are now using on report as opposed to the sin bin. That way, if they're on report, 
caught and they're wrong, it doesn't matter. But if they sin bin and they're wrong, the ref is accountable. It's crap, Lee adds. So he, that's why it's happening, according to Lee, and it uh, sounds like he's not very impressed with it. Let's talk rugby union now. Last night at Lang Park, it was a win for the Queensland Reds, 12 12-11. Uh, over the Auckland Blues. It's the first time an Australian team has knocked over all the New Zealand sides in the Super Rugby competition in the one season. Quentin Hull called the match for ABC Grandstand. Hi, Quentin. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, Debbie, and uh, I suppose we need to put an asterisk next to that uh, statistic about the New Zealand teams because uh, the Reds don't play the Crusaders this year, and uh, many might say if there's any year you'd want to play them, it might be this year, but I think any year you don't play the Crusaders is probably a good year if you're drawn that way. Yes, well, but the Blues were top of the New Zealand conference anyway, so you can't sort of sneeze at the result. Um, I saw it described this morning as a win for sheer willpower, from uh, the Reds. Is is that a fair assessment? Were they referring to a state of mind or the number nine for the Reds? Because Will did have a fair bit to say at the <laughs> end of the game. Will Genya. It's a good line uh, to uh, talk about the Reds because Genya was good and, and Quade Cooper was very good as well. That argument's going to heat up with the Lions series getting ever closer considering the, the way that uh, those two have played football in the last week. We've been really treated with uh, two terrific games of rugby in the, the last week. The night in all draw between the Reds and the Brumbies was uh, spoken about quite heavily. And last night, uh, this was a game there where there was only one try, Debbie, but the ball retention from both teams was exemplary, particularly the Blues. I mean, the, the first passage in the game was uh, the Auckland side holding the football for more than 20 phases from the kickoff. Yeah, I saw so 20... that really set the tone. Yeah, I saw a report this morning that says 22 phases on, on the first possession. And Ewan McKenzie said after the match that his team, he felt like his team didn't touch the ball for the first 30 minutes. So I guess, it, you know, the defensive effort of the Reds really ha- has to get a wrap. Is, where would you rate it in terms of how you've seen uh, a rugby team defend? It was right up there. Uh, look, the Reds made 233 tackles to the Blues 137 and the Blues had possession of the ball for 62% of the game So, and, and the Reds have still won the game so I think uh, those numbers back up what we're saying about the defensive effort and uh, I think uh, it again proves that uh, the Reds are back to a point where Ewan McKenzie is just able to tweak their game style so effectively and the entire unit responds. It was a different game to the Brumbies game last week but uh, they showed great determination in defence, and then particularly at the back end of the game, uh, it's probably been a little underestimated, if, if it can be such, when you've got two great leaders like James Horwell and Will Genia back in the team, and uh, those two players weren't a part of the Reds at the start of the year. Now they've been playing for the last five or six weeks uh, together and really gelling. Uh, it, it's been a very positive last month for the Reds, and uh, it's got them to the top of the Australian Conference for the time being, and uh, the Brumbies not only have the force in front of them tonight at Canberra Stadium, but they're looking over their shoulder at the Reds as well. Well, yeah, we'll get your thoughts on that match in a moment. But just uh, in terms of the the way the Reds last night, everyone was describing them as out on their feet at the end, no petrol left in the tank. What did did, did you sort of feel that at the time? What, what were you seeing in in uh, the body language? 
just a real determination to defend like uh, their lives depended on it. Uh, there was one point where uh, Francis Saeli was following a kick through into the in goal. It looked for all money that he was going to get there, but Genya just appeared to, to grab the ball and then went on a little scoot himself. So uh, collectively, they defended terrifically. But then to have a, a marshal like Genya to play smart field position, and I think the Blues just lost their nerve a little bit in the last uh, 15 minutes of the game. Perry Weepu went off, and then the Reds were happy to just get the ball into the Blues 22. Earlier in the game, they were happy enough to just play face football and keep possession of the football, but they lost their nerve a bit. A couple of the kicks weren't that effective, and it just allowed the Reds to play with a bit of footy down the Blues' end of the park. So I think uh, the important decision-making and leadership from, from Horwell and Genya was really apparent uh, when you add that to the, the great determination of uh, their 13 teammates tackling everything that moved late in the game. Someone on SMS, I think, is having a bit of a go. Quentin, uh, the question is, some uh, ask Quentin how Horwell's refereeing performance was last night. <laughs> well, what's that in reference to? I mean, I'm not sure. They're always, right. they're always I mean, players and captains are always in the face of the of the referee. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that's going. We'll just pass that on then. Uh, would, would there be some concern? though, from the Reds' point of view, that there were some decent breaks of, you know, looking at the highlights this morning, some decent breaks that weren't finished off. Is, is, is that something that they should be a little concerned about going forward? Yeah, look, I think just that last link and the finishing off of the, the creative running. There was one point where Rod Davies made a big run. It, it didn't work. There were a few other incidents that come to mind. And it was the same against the Brumbies last week. Um, they are just opening the door with these uh, brilliant pieces of attacking rugby that the Reds have been known for over the last couple of years, but just aren't finishing off. Uh, but the thing is, that's still to improve. That dynamic part of the game is still to improve for the Reds, yet they're still, uh, well, as it stands, at the top of the Australian Conference and able to, uh, well, beat the really good teams. Uh, they've beaten the, the Blues and the Chiefs in the last three weeks and drew with the Brumbies. How do you think the Brumbies will go tonight at home against Western Force in Canberra? Well, you'd expect them to win, even though uh, the Western Force, uh, they've just... It, it, it's, it's hard to really tell, isn't it, from one week to the next with the force having put on that great upset against the Crusaders a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the Brumbies have just got to take care of business. Uh, you know, everyone's been talking about George Smith's return to the team. It's, it's got more to do with that for, than that for the, the Brumbies. But the, you know, Jesse Mogg's form was outstanding when I got to see him last week in the flesh. He really is a, a good young player. They're playing as a good unit. Um, it would be a major shock if the force were to, were to beat the Brumbies and uh, look, but I'm sure everyone north of the Tweeds yelling for the force tonight. Uh, yeah, so you'll be cheering along for the force, do you think? Oh, of course. <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm glad we're getting a totally impartial point of view here from you, Quentin Hull. All right, Quentin, just quickly, um, I, I know I'm going to switch codes here, but it's part of this program. So, uh, And I, I know you were in New Zealand for the Sydney Swans AFL match against St Kilda during the week. Can you give us a, a brief synopsis of what the atmosphere was like there and whether you think anything was achieved by taking the game overseas? Look, it was a really good atmosphere, Debbie. There were a lot of Australians that uh, were travelling across, uh, even in town just before the game. A lot of people going to pubs to try and find a coverage of the Collingwood-Essendon game um, from uh, from the MCG. And a lot of the local pubs were happy to, to get that because it was beamed into New Zealand on pay television and regularly it's not. So that's a win. Uh, they had 22,500 fans at the stadium. When you think that the Hurricanes are uh, regularly getting less than 10,000 fans to see them 
play rugby at the Cake Tin. That shows that, uh, well, a lot of Australians travelled and, two, there were a lot of curious Kiwis out there. And, uh, well, three, as far as the venue's concerned, it, it's peculiar because regularly you've got rugby and football, rectangular sports played at what is uh, an oval stadium. Um, Goal-to-goal line, it's probably about the SCG length, but uh, the wings aren't that wide, so it was a really intimate feel. It's a a stadium of 30-odd thousand fans, uh, and Josh Kennedy was speaking after the game, saying he felt like the crowd was right on top of him, so it was a great viewing spectacle. Not a great game because it was very dewy, but uh, a big tick as far as uh, uh, the the whole exercise was concerned, Deb. All right, Quentin, thanks very much and uh, nice to hear that you actually went to some pubs to investigate just for the purposes of being able to report accurately on what was going on. Um, well, it had to, we had to know a little bit of what of happened course. in the previous game, Debbie. That was what it was all about. <laughs> of course, that was what it was all about. Quentin Hull, thanks very much for uh, being oh, cracking the codes today, talking rugby union, a little bit of AFL. We've got more AFL coming up in a moment. This is Cracking the Codes with Debbie Spillane. Fantastic tight finish to a game last night at Subiaco where Fremantle Dockers defeated Richmond Tigers. It was 12 goals 9-81 to 12 goals 8-80, I think. I've I've written down the wrong score again. I hate it when I do that. Anyway, um, it was a one-point difference. I haven't got the right score written there. But let's hear from Michael Walters speaking to the Fremantle forward um, David Lind- uh, or Michael Walters is speaking to Grandstand's David Lindsay. Oh, it was a tough game. We knew, we knew Richmond were going to start early and we knew the pressure was going to be on us early from the start. So, um, you, know, you know, we let them get in front, but it was just a good effort by all the boys. You know, we, you know a day like this, we just want to play and we knew, you know, show the Anzac spirit. So, um, so we knew we had to come back. When Richmond kicked their last goal, were you aware of how much time was left and how much time you had remaining to kick a goal to get, get your noses back in front? No, we weren't sure what the time was. Um, I looked up at the clock and, and I think it was 28, 29 minutes um, going in the, in the last quarter, so I wasn't sure how many seconds to go. Um, you know, just a lucky sneak goal by Bellas, which is real good. And, um, you know, the forward group weren't too good. Myself um, in particular, I didn't, really, I didn't really kick my goals when I should have, which put us under pressure. That's Michael Walters from Fremantle speaking to Grandstand's David Lindsay. Let me tidy up that score for you. It was 12 goals, 9.81 to 12 goals, 8. 80. Now, Rob Cross is part of the commentary team for ABC Grandstand and ABC News Radio's coverage this afternoon of the match from Monica Oval in Canberra. It's the GWS Giants against the Gold Coast. Russell Barwick, Josh Fraser, Craig Bolton and Shannon Byrne are there as well. But we've got Rob on the line. I know you're about to get into your commentary duties, Rob, but what can you tell us about the, the makeup of either side for today or any late news? Yeah, look, at Deb. We haven't got the team sheets through just as yet, but just as the Giants run out to go through their warm-up, we're about 45 minutes away from the start of the match, and a quick scan tells me they are as selected. There's a new player for the day. Zach Williams from Naranda will make his debut, and Brett Thornton, a former Carlton player, fresh from eight goals, five in the reserves last week, gets his first game in the orange of the GWS Giants and the Suns. As I scan their team, they look pretty much uh, as per their team selected on Thursday night. Of course, last year was the very first win in the AFL for the Giants against the Suns here at this ground. For much celebration, one of only two wins they've had since coming into the competition in 2012. They'll be keen on what is their home away from home. They're setting up another home base here in Canberra, of course, to have another win. But you just sense today that with players of the ilk of uh, Gary Ablett and the fact that the Suns are one year 
more advanced than the Giants that the uh, the Sun should be favourite. It's a beautiful day here in Canberra, barely a breath of wind, gorgeous blue sky, and uh, hopefully the crowd will roll in and have a fantastic game through the afternoon. GWS fell in a bit of a heap last week after looking pretty good for the first three quarters against Melbourne. Uh, is, would that be something they've addressed this week, or was, well, is it be... something they can address that quickly? You look, you would hope so. I think they've uh, they've had a couple of good performances. They were very competitive against the Swans, the running premiers in the first round, losing by five goals. They were pretty good for a large part of the game against Port Adelaide, who have proven to be a very good side, unbeaten through this year. And up, up as you say, up to a three-quarter time last week against Melbourne, were in pretty good form as well. So the fear is that maybe second-year blues may have set in. A couple of their young players, Toby Green probably comes to mind immediately, is really struggling in his second year after having a fantastic first season. And opposition players have obviously done their homework with him, uh, but they'll be fired up. This is a game they know they can win, but they have to be at their very best because the Suns know that uh, to continue their development in the AFL, this is a game they should win. All right, Rob, I'll let you go and get settled in with uh, the rest of the commentary team. If you're listening in Canberra, you'll be going direct after the news that's coming up to Monica for the full lead-in to the match between the Giants and the Gold Coast. If you're listening in Queensland, you'll be parting company with us after the news to go to Queensland Sports Extra. And if you're listening in New South Wales, you've got Hens FC coming up, another great panel of knowledgeable sports-type women. Well, they're not necessarily sportswomen, but they're women who are involved in sport. Julie Dolan, of course, is a sportswoman. She captained Australia in soccer. She's one of our guests, Sarah Wadira from Fox Sports News and Joanna Lester, a freelance sports journalist with a particular passion for rugby league, will be uh, joining us. And of course, if you're leaving us and you're not going to experience Hens FC, don't forget you can listen to it via podcast. You can uh, get it from your iTunes store during the week. Uh, we'll have it uploaded fairly shortly. So wherever you're off to after the news, hope you enjoy yourself and uh, stick around if possible for Hens. We're talking A-League, NRL and Channel Ed.